My subject this morning is simply living water. As we've seen throughout this gospel, we've been given many opportunities to listen in or eavesdrop on the various one-on-one encounters that Jesus had with different people. Earlier in this gospel, we saw his encounter with Nicodemus, a Jew, a leader, and not just a leader, but a ruler and part of the ruling council known as the Sanhedrin. Now we get to eavesdrop on a conversation with someone who could not be more of a polar opposite than Nicodemus, according to the traditions and culture of that time, which shows me right from the beginning that one thing we need to always embrace is that Jesus is for everybody. Status is of no value. Reputation is of no value. Track record is of no value. If you need Jesus, Jesus is there. Jesus is always willing and, and ready to talk to you. John chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired of as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I will stop there. Full disclosure, this is a part one because the rest of the story will take up next week of the woman's encounter with Jesus at this well. At the outset, the story communicates why this encounter would seem, given the culture of the time, so shocking. The woman was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And by the revealed facts that we will see later, she was also one leading or had led an immoral lifestyle. She could not be, as I mentioned before, more different than Nicodemus. Why was there such animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans? Well, going back into the Old Testament, when David became king, he made Jerusalem the nation's capital. Yet when, and then when later, when his son Solomon became king, he built the first temple in Jerusalem. Now, later in Solomon's reign, the nation became divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom becoming Israel 
and the southern kingdom becoming Judah. When the northern kingdom was taken into captivity, many Jews were exiled and non-Jews migrated into what was the land area known as Israel. And the mixture eventually became known as Samaritans. No surprise with this mixture of people over the course of decades, they began to intermarry. But not only intermarry, as was feared by the scriptures, especially as you look at Deuteronomy, they also began to intermix the practices of serving God in the law with pagan rituals. And they became to kind of raise their own religion. Also, Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible. They didn't accept the writings. They didn't accept the prophets. And one reason, because throughout the rest of the book of, of, of the Old Testament, they talk a lot about Jerusalem, and they wanted nothing to do with Jerusalem. They rejected any writing, anything that made a reference to the capital of God's people being Jerusalem. For them, the place of worship was a place called Mount Gerizim. And so because of them modifying so many practices and rejecting so much of what the Jewish people held as the entire word of God, the hostility between the Jews and Samaritans grew and it deepened. And let's be clear, it went both ways. Jews of that time would do anything to avoid contact or at least social contact with the people of Samaria as you were catching it. They would avoid social contact. They had business contact because we see the disciples going into town to buy food. But not Jesus. The passage says he had to go to Samaria. Aren't you glad for divine appointments? Can you look back on the course of your life and remember those divine appointments that God set up? Jews would double or triple their journey to avoid going through Samaria. Never doubt, ever doubt, that you are a priority to the Lord. Never doubt that your loved ones are a priority to the Lord. He is with passionate determination, seeking for ways to encounter them, and will do so in all kinds of ways. In every way, this was truly a divine appointment. Not only was there a large amount of history between the two groups, but the place where they met, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, whose, names, whose name we don't know, the place where they met also was full of history. Jacob's well. It had been dug over 2,000 years earlier, referenced in Genesis chapter 48 given by Jacob to his sons as part of his blessings, mainly Joseph's sons. And here it was providing water in Jesus' time. Isn't that amazing? That when God does something, it lasts. How about knowing that that well still exists today in Israel and is still providing water? Only God can do that. God's things last. God's presence lasts. God's touch in a life, yours and mine, it lasts. Because of this well's meaning, it had become sacred to the Samaritan people. Now, I also take comfort where it says in verse 6, 
And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Anyone here ever get tired? Jesus got tired. Not sure where this militant mindset came that, well, you're not allowed to get tired. Especially if you're working for the Lord. You just have to keep going and going like you've got some endless energy source. Jesus got tired. So it's okay to be committed. Yeah, we want to do things with excellence and with energy. But even in the things we do for the Lord, we need to always remember that one thing about walking with Jesus will never change about you. You are human. I know, that was a profound statement. You are a human being. You will get tired. So if if the call of your life is to say, I want to be like Jesus, every time you get tired, you can look up to the heavens and say, thank you, Lord. I'm like you. I just got tired. What a display of his humanity. Tired and thirsty. In your moments of weakness, in your moments of feeling frail and feeling vulnerable, in your moments of being human, please remember that Jesus understands and he knows how you feel. And since his disciples had gone into the city to buy food, apparently in addition to tired and thirsty, he also got hungry. All this leads up to this moment in verse 7. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. It was noon, verse 6 says. The common practice for drawing water for the village from the well was either early in the day or late in the day. And the more common practice was late in the day. And the practice was not just about gathering water for the needs of your day or for the day that was coming, but it was also a matter of social gathering. This was, I guess, their Facebook, although it was a lot more reliable. And this social gathering was a way for people to connect and exchange stories and to really develop uh, relationships with one another. This is where they connected with each other, where they received updates on one another's lives. This is where they would encourage one another to keep going day by day. And all this, all this social interaction is what this woman was trying her best to avoid. Because she knew her life. She knew the mistakes she had made. She knew the immoral choices she had embraced. And apparently, so did everybody else. She wanted to avoid the stares. She wanted to avoid the comments. She wanted to avoid the comments, especially that would be behind her back, but within listening, if you understand what I mean by that. She wanted to avoid the reminder that even amongst her people, she was an outcast. We stand for moral things in this church. We stand for what the Bible claims is right, and we stand against for what the Bible says is wrong. But let it be clear, every single person breathing on this earth will always be welcomed and appreciated and loved if they walk through those doors and become part of this church. We will welcome them. No one will be an outcast here. She didn't need the help feeling alone. She could do that all by herself. She didn't need help feeling unworthy. The time she came to the well alone tells 
volumes of her social status within the community. No one wanted to associate with her. No one wanted to talk to her except Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Except Jesus. And his first words to her were, will you give me a drink? She's shocked, taken back. Sir, you're talking to me? Do you understand who you're talking to? A woman, a Samaritan. This broke every social rule that she had ever known. Nothing wrong with having traditions, nothing wrong with having processes, nothing wrong for having things done a certain way. We all have our traditions. As I look over the wedding ceremony and this day that's going to be happening today in my family, there are many traditions that all of us have grown up with and followed. What, one thing that was a, a new thing to me is this idea of a first look, pictures. Because I was raised that you didn't see the bride before the wedding. Well, the whole family is getting together before the wedding to take the pictures that they would normally take after the ceremony so that the bride and groom can enjoy the cocktail hour and the reception. It made sense. And you know what? It's fine. I've never believed in superstitions anyway, so someone telling me it's bad luck to see the bride before the wedding would have gotten an earful from me since I don't believe in luck. I believe in Jesus. Which is another reason why we have to get out of here at a certain time. (laughs) Nothing wrong with having our traditions. But when our traditions become things that create barriers, that create fences and walls, that keep people apart, then they've they've, they've gone beyond just a tradition. Our traditions need to take a back seat to people. Because people matter more. They're always going to matter more. This was an opportunity for this Samaritan woman to connect with the Prince of Peace. This woman needed peace. It didn't matter that it was a conversation between a man and a woman. It didn't matter that it was a conversation between a holy man and that kind of woman. It didn't matter that this conversation was between two social groups who hated one another. It didn't matter. Jesus needed physical water, and this woman needed living water. And they could help one another out. She has the same problem understanding Jesus that Nicodemus had. Because when he mentions about living water, she just turns to the physical. When Jesus mentioned to Nicodemus about you need to be born again, all Nicodemus could think about was going back into his mother's womb. They missed the spiritual understanding which was less understandable in Nicodemus's case. She too could not grasp the spiritual understanding of living water. Living water. She focused on the physical. Jesus made it clear, if you drink the water from this well, it's going to refresh you, it's going to feel good, you will feel energized, and you will be thirsty again. He made it clear, drink this water, and not only will you be thirsty again, but as far as this well and its location is concerned, you will be back. But drink the water that Jesus gives. And the thirst that comes from deep inside each person will be satisfied forever. Isn't that the testimony of your life? That Jesus gave you living water. And anything this world can try to give 
to be a substitute for water that goes deep into my soul, it might satisfy for a moment. It might satisfy for a season. But I'll have to keep coming back and back. Jesus gives me water that sets me free. The water we drink is a consumable item. The pleasures that this world gives are consumable items. But the living water that Jesus gives is not only self-sustaining, but he says in this passage, it's a spring gushing up or bursting out and springing up that not only becomes this unending source of water and life to you and I, but thankfully, as all of our lives have been touched by others, it becomes a source of living water to others. When Jesus comes into the life of each child of God as Savior and Lord, you receive living water. It's not consumable. Physical water is consumed. It provides relief, and then it fades. Living water quenches our life thirst. And when we go through those dry seasons, like everybody does, those dry seasons of life, it not only replenishes it's a spring that word there for springing up literally is leaping up rising up within you a spring that will continually bring life giving water to our lives but can also be as i said a blessing to others this water is powerful this water is dynamic this water is alive It pours over our soul and nurtures us day by day, year after year. Can you imagine how thirsty this woman might have been? And the reality is, I'm sure most of us can. We can imagine a life thirst that this world doesn't offer anything for. We might seek it through good things and not so good things. In inappropriate relationships. uh, All kinds of substances, all kinds of things that we can try to satisfy that desire within for a sense of peace and a sense of purpose. And we can even turn to things that in, them, in and of themselves aren't bad. I love my family, and I'm thankful to be able to celebrate today with not only my immediate family, but my extended family who will be there. But let me be clear. I do not live for my family. I live for Jesus. My family is important to me. But as is the course of all living things, they will each one day fade away. Jesus will be there forever. So even good things, if they become the center of why I exist, they can't give me what Jesus can. Because Jesus gives me living water, a spring that gushes up. Can you see or perhaps relate to how empty her life was? Some might say that she was in the right place because deep down she was seeking God. I'm not so sure. See, it's common for us as Christians that when we see non-Christians who are searching for purpose in life, we will almost to try and help their direction label them as seeking after god but in truth what they're seeking for is what god provides they're seeking the peace that he gives not the prince of peace himself because as we all know 
the true search for God only begins once you come to him. Then we spend the rest of our days truly searching for him in deeper ways. Most people aren't searching for God. They're searching for the things he can bring. Most people want peace, but they want it their way. Most people want rest, but not if it involves this Jesus person. Most people want hope, but they want to be able to hope in things that pass away. Most people want love, but they want the right to decide what love means or what it looks like. They want the things only Jesus can give without Jesus. I'm not seeking the things of God. I'm seeking God today. That's my hope for all of you. That's the hope for my son and his fiancée. Seeking the blessings of God bestows is not the same thing as seeking the one who bestows those blessings. The Christian life is not about getting presents. It's not about Christmas morning or your favorite anniversary or holiday. It's about a living, breathing, ongoing relationship with the King of Kings. The woman's response is understandable. Sir, give me this water. But notice what she, why she says she wants the water. Because she gives two reasons. So that I won't get thirsty. And so I won't have to keep coming back to this well to draw water. She wanted two things. Yeah, she wanted the emptiness to go away. She wanted that thirst and hunger to go away. She wanted to not feel the way she did about herself, and she wanted that to go away. But she also wanted to not have to keep coming back to this well in the middle of the day and having to avoid being ostracized and being hated and being ridiculed by other people. She wanted to be free of the pain. She wanted to be free of the comments. This conversation had reached a turning point, and she was asking more and more questions, but still had not grasped the true weight of what Jesus was offering. He was offering living water, a drink that changes your life, a drink that changes your focus and changes the meaning. For me, living water is why I live. It makes me the man I am today. It makes me the husband or father I am today. It makes me the brother or friend I am today. Without this living water, there would be a lesser person standing here. That's what this living water does. And this living water is not something that I need to keep drinking from. It is a self-sustaining spring that Jesus placed in me on the day I gave my life to him. And now I can give that water to others. And so can you. So can you. That's living water. You know, weddings are a, a wonderful thing. But they're a moment in time. As I've shared for any of those who might send a couple my way, I require six months of premarital counseling before I will stand with a couple at an altar or on a beach and go through a wedding ceremony. Because for me, there are many mechanisms and things that will assist a bride and groom in putting together the wedding day. 
it's amazed me all the different types of vendors my son and his fiance have had, whether it was the photographer or the videographer or the florist or the wedding planner, or I could go on, I'm probably going to miss some. My head just spins thinking about it. So there's plenty of assistance they've had in putting together the day. My concern was not this day at all. My concern was the 25 to 30 years that follow. That was my concern. And I told them both. My hope in all of the counseling was that I could be with them on their 25th anniversary and celebrate that they had passed the test of time. When my wife and I got married some time ago, uh, there was a friend of the family that was walking through the all the gathered friends and even the reception. Now, this is going to date me, so I'm sure many of you will understand it. Some of you won't. With a tape recorder. Anyone remember what those things were? A cassette tape recorder. And she was gathering different words of encouragement and love from everyone to give them the cassette to the couple. We still have that cassette. I have nothing to play it on, but we still have the cassette. And all the comments were nice and, for the most part, loving, but also predictable. Wishing them a life of happiness, wishing them a life of love, all blessings, sunny days, rainbows, unicorns, you know, the whole thing. But then they came to my sister-in-law, Michelle, who's always been, had a way of going deeper and being more insightful. And without hesitating, her hope for that young couple 40 years ago was that the wedding day would not be the highlight of their marriage, that their life would go on from here. At the moment, I didn't understand the full weight of that comment. I do now, having canceled many marriages that never got any better than the wedding day. That is my hope, that this is a moment they launch from. Many of us have already given our lives to Jesus. And we remember that, that excitement, that joy when we first came to him. But the way in which this living water is supposed to work is that the day we came to Jesus is not supposed to be the highlight of our Christian walk. We're supposed to grow deeper and closer and more and more in him as the journey continued. Now, yes, as the journey continued, we experienced more of that power we needed to overcome. We went through some valleys, but then we also knew that we were never alone in the valley, that Jesus was there. And when we got thirsty and we got tired and this Christian walk seemed like it wasn't all that we bargained for, Jesus was there with living water to refresh and to remind that that living water is an unending supply within each one of us. That's what Jesus gives That's what he gives today. That's why that song we sang, Fill My Cup, means so much. Come and quenched, not this physical thirsting, but this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. 
kind of what the reception hall is going to try and do with all the food they've planned. Fill my cup. Fill it up. And make me whole. Anyone need to be made whole today? Anyone a little tired from your journey as Jesus was from his? Jesus provides living water. This woman wanted it. And I'll freely admit, so do I. Stand with me, please. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I want to sing.